Hey friends, welcome to the Ridgedale Students Podcast. Ridgedale Student Ministry is a family of middle and high school students at Ridgedale Baptist Church following the way of Jesus together in Chattanooga, Tennessee. If you'd like more information on all things RSM, you can find us at ridgedalebaptist.org students or on our social media pages. Thanks for stopping by and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. So, when I was a kid, this is a confession a little bit. This is a bit of a confession. When I was a kid, my parents found the greatest Little Debbie snack cake I think that's ever been invented. Has anyone ever heard of Marshmallow Supremes? Yes! I love it. One person. That's good. That means that this story is going to work. So, Marshmallow Supremes were the golden, like, pinnacle of Little Debbie snack foods. They don't make them anymore, I don't think. I never see them at the store anymore. Here's what it was. It was this dark chocolate cookie that had this big thing of marshmallow cream on top of it, and then it was all wrapped in this delicious, like, kind of dark chocolatey, but not super dark, like, filling, I, I don't know. It was like, it was this delicious marshmallow cookie that was just like eating a cloud, eating a chocolate cloud. It was fantastic. So here's what would happen. My parents, we would go to the store and we would buy like all of our groceries for the week. And this like this particular season of life, we weren't about the health food way. And so what we would do is buy like four boxes of these things and just go to town for like an entire week. Four of us, one box a piece. It was great. So what I would do as soon as we get home, we would all have to help unpack the, the groceries. So I would unpack some of these Little Debbie snack cakes. I'd unpack the Marshmallow Supremes. And what I'd do is I'd grab one out of the box, and I would immediately take it up to my room. And then little by little, periodically, over the span of the rest of the day, I would go back, and I would grab one more, and I would stuff it somewhere in my room. And then I would go back, and I would grab another one, and I would stuff it somewhere else in my room. I would go back until I had basically accumulated like a box and a half all to myself. No one knew where they went, and no one's really asking questions because everyone loves them, so we're all assuming that the other people ate them. And in reality, I'm the one that has them, and they're all hidden in my room. And then what I would do is I would go up there, and I would just feast on Marshmallow Supremes, and it was fantastic. It does explain a little bit of my childhood obesity. And so that, aside from the fact a lot of explanation there. But I was all about making sure that I was the person that had all of the resources, all the things that I wanted, because I didn't want anybody else to, to take those resources from me. We started this new series last week called The Three Stories That We All Live. And in that first series teaching, what we talked about is the fact that all of these three stories that we're going to talk about are all just answers. They're all answers to the universal human story of the search for acceptance. All of us universally want to be accepted. Even if you don't, like you say you don't want to be accepted, there's something within you that desires to be accepted for your lack of desire for acceptance. We all want to be accepted in some sort of way. And so last week we looked at the story of success. And the formula for the story of success is I will be accepted because of what I do. If I'm the best, if I win, if I achieve, if I can do all of the things, then people will have to accept me because I will achieve my way to acceptance. But in reality, what we see is that the gospel speaks a better story. That instead of the story of acceptance through achievement, it's acceptance apart from achievement. That we don't earn it for ourselves. We don't have to work ourselves into God's acceptance. He looks at us and he loves us and he sends his son to die for us and he claims us for himself and he raises us up and he says, this is my person. I accept them. I bring them into my family. It's a story 
of success and the story of the gospel are at odds with each other. This week, what we're looking at is the story of security. The story of security. And here's the formula that I think the story of security gives us. It's acceptance through accumulation. Acceptance through accumulation. Now, I was not seeking acceptance by hoarding Little Debbie snack cakes in my room as a chubby eight-year-old. But... I was trying to take all of the resources for myself because I thought that in that I would have some sort of satisfaction and fulfillment that the rest of my family wouldn't get because I had all of it. What the story of security tells us is that you'll be accepted because of what you have. You'll be accepted because of what you possess. You have enough money, they have to to accept me. You have the best clothes, you have the best car, you have the best house, you have the biggest house, people have to accept you because of it. If you have the best relationships, if your friend group is awesome, you have to be accepted because of that. It preaches this story to us that acceptance will be like given to us through what we accumulate or what we have. But there's a flip side to this story, I think. I made this little graph that I think will be a little bit helpful for us. There are two scripts to this story. There's the positive script. The positive script is the one that's telling you what you get will be what makes you accepted. So you get money, you get clothes, you get the nice house, you get the nice car, you get the stable family, whatever your category is. That's the thing that's going to lead you to acceptance. But there's a negative script to it too. It's I don't feel accepted because I lack something. I don't have money. My family doesn't have money. So I have to go out and I have to work to help support my family. And if people find out, then they're going to look at me differently. I have an iPhone 7 instead of an iPhone 14. People are going to look at me weird if I pull my phone out to make a phone call. My family has one car, and it's janky, and it's busted, and it doesn't look cool. And so if my parents pick me up from school, people are going to look at me, and they're going to think about me differently because of it. So there's two sides to this story. What the story of security does to us is it kills intimacy. It kills relationship with people. Because what it tells you is that if you let anybody in, they're going to see your insecurity. They're going to see the thing that you're worried about. Or on the positive spectrum of it, what they're going to do is you're going to value your stuff over valuing people. You're going to look at your stuff and you're going to say, my things are more valuable than the people that I'm surrounded by. And what it does is it kills intimacy. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the same formula that we did last week. We're going to define the story of security. We're going to look at why it doesn't work. And then we're going to look at a better story. Can we go there together? Yeah. Man, thanks, Logan. I appreciate that. Would you pray with me before we go into it? Lord, we just thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for your kindness. Thank you for the fact that last week we can see clearly from Scripture that I don't have to be the best. This service doesn't have to be the coolest service in Chattanooga for us to have value. This like place, these people don't have to be the best because you look at us. When you look at us, you see your son. You say, because I see my son, I want relationship with these people. God, I pray tonight, help us to see that it's not our stuff. It's not the things we have, and it's not the things we don't have that give us a place to belong in your kingdom. But we pray that you'd reveal this to us by your Spirit, and we pray not just that you'd reveal it to us, but help us to live it out wherever we go. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen. What is the story of security? What is it? Anybody a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory fan? Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Anthony again? Man, would not have expected that. I love it. If you're a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory fan, then you know the character Veruca Salt. Anybody? Veruca Salt? Yeah? Gets turned into a blueberry. I wasn't sure what it was. Gets turned into a blueberry. But she's the really spoiled rich girl. There's this line in the movie that is the pinnacle of what we see in the story of security. Put it up there. 
All I've got at home is one pony and two dogs and four cats and six bunny rabbits and two parakeets and three canaries and a green parrot and a turtle and a silly old hamster. I want a squirrel! And so we're not satisfied with what we have. But that's okay. Maybe you're not a Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory fan. Maybe you're a Disney person. Anybody? Anybody with me on this one? Zach? I've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. I've got who's it's and what's it's galore. You want thingamabobs? I got 20. But who cares? No big deal. I want more. Princess Ariel. So we see, we see this. No, enough of the pop culture references. I'm sorry. I had to do it. I had to do it. When we look at the story of security, here's what we see. We see a story that tells us that if you can have the best stuff, or you can have the most of the stuff, or you can have the best relationship, or the most resources, that that's going to be the thing that gives you acceptance. And we see this all over our culture, don't we? Every year, Apple puts out September. We know when it's coming. There's going to be a new iPhone. Do we need a new iPhone? Absolutely not. No. They, like, they change maybe one thing. But every year it comes out without fail, and people buy it in the millions. We see now that marketing, like marketing has changed in the last 60 years. Marketing used to be about what you needed. And so it was someone coming to you and telling you, hey, you need this, and here's why you need this product, because it works, and it's good, and it will last you. But now what marketing does is it plays on our desires. It doesn't tell you what you need. It tells you you want this thing. And because you don't have this thing, you're less. So you don't have the new iPhone, man, that sucks for you, but you need the new iPhone. You don't have the newest version or the newest model of the car, well, man, you better go trade in your old car to get a new car. Marketing is geared now not towards what we need, but what we desire. And it's telling us constantly, you are less than if you don't have this thing that you desire. But it's not just a cultural story, it's a biblical story. You look in the Old Testament, you see King Solomon, the richest man in the Bible. But King Solomon spent his entire life trying to accumulate more stuff. And we get, in the end, the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon says, all of it was vanity. None of it mattered. I didn't get what I wanted in this, even though I had all of the stuff. We see it in both sons and the prodigal son. The younger son wants all the father's stuff because he didn't feel acceptance in the father's house. So he gets it, he runs off, and he wastes it. But the other son equally wanted his father's stuff. He says, you never gave me a goat so I could party with my friends. Because if you would have given me that thing, I would have known that you would have accepted the work that I had done in your house. Both of the sons are looking for acceptance, and they're seeing it validated in the things that they can receive. We look in Mark 10, 17 through 21, and I think we get a great picture of this like played out in real time. Look at this with me. It says, And as he was sitting out, or as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Man, that guy is confident. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This man comes to Jesus, and he's got all the stuff. And he asks Jesus, what can I do to possess the kingdom of heaven? What's an inheritance? An inheritance is something you receive as someone gives it to you, as they pass it down, and now it's yours. So when he asks, what do I do to inherit the kingdom? He's asking, how do I take this as another one of my possessions? 
And Jesus gives him two answers. He says, did you do all the commandments? We know from Matthew 5, no, none of us, none of us have done all of the commandments. But the guy's like, yeah, I did them. I finished all of them. And Jesus, in his like perfect kindness, he doesn't shut this guy down. He doesn't embarrass him. He doesn't expose all of his sins. He says, okay, one more thing you got to do. All you do, you just do this and you got it. Go sell all the stuff you have, give it to the poor, and then come back and follow me. And you're going to have treasures in heaven. That's a bridge too far. What we see here is that the man has devalued relationship with God for the sake of overvaluing his relationship with his possessions. He knows that he, doesn't, he didn't put together all the commandments. He hasn't done these things perfectly. But in his mind, that's just a bypassing so that he can get one more thing. He wants the possession of the kingdom of heaven. And so he says, I've done all that stuff. Now let's get to giving me one more thing. And Jesus says, all right, one more thing you've got to do. Sell all your stuff. And he can't fathom selling everything he has in order to gain a treasure that he can't lose. Can't fathom it. Why? Because his life has, built, has been built around relationship with his things rather than relationship to God. The commandments that Jesus is talking about, they're not a, a checklist of things that he needed him to do. It's a way for him to live the fullest human life possible, for him to live in sync with the, the rhythms of heaven. God's not telling him, Jesus is not telling him to get this thing like so you can check all the boxes. He's telling you, I want you to live fully. And the only way that you're going to do that right now is by giving away all the stuff that you're valuing more than you're valuing relationship to me. See, the story of security thrives when relationship with God comes secondary to our relationship with our possessions. When you can't imagine giving away your phone time, or giving away your phone even, to spend just another little piece of time with God, you might be living into the wrong story. When having a, another pair of dunks is way more important than you seeing somebody cared for that has less than you, you might be living into the wrong story. And I'm not here to say that you are or aren't, but I'm here to, to kind of pose a, a scenario to us, to ask the question, are we living into the right story or are we living into the wrong story? Just hit a brief pause for a second. Maybe you're, like, you're hearing this, you're seeing kind of the, the description, the definition of what the story of security is. And you're thinking to yourself, man, that might be me. Like, I know that I bypass being able to give to people so that I can give to myself. I know that, like, if I could, if I could just get it into my brain to give away this thing so that I could have a deeper relationship with God, I just can't do it. Maybe that's you in the room right now. And I want us to just kind of pause for a second and think through what's the next step? What do we do with a message like this before we go on? I want us to look now at why this story doesn't work. Why accumulation and getting more stuff and getting the best stuff isn't what it is made out to be. This is really weird again, but Matthew McConaughey said something really profound. He said, happiness is an emotional response to an outcome. If I win, I'll be happy. If I don't, I won't. It's an if-then, cause-and-effect, quid pro quo standard that we cannot sustain because we immediately raise it every time we attain it. Plug in happiness, plug in fulfillment, plug in whatever you want there. Plug in winning, plug in getting more stuff, plug in getting whatever it is that you desire. And the standard still holds. We raise the standard every time we get it. If I have two pairs of dunks, now I want four pairs of dunks. If I get $500, now I want $5,000. If I get a new phone, I want the next new phone that comes out. 
It's constantly having to be fed, like we talked about last week. I love rap. Biggie Smalls, mo' money, mo' problems. It's true. It's not just rap lyrics. It's philosophical. With more money comes more issues. And when you get to be an adult, you'll find that out very quickly. Look with me at Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 12 says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. In other words, more money means more people who are trying to eat your money. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. It's crazy to me how much our culture buys into the insanity of the story of security. You got a guy like Matthew McConaughey or any number of celebrities. Like when I was doing my research for this, there's a five minute long video of 10 second clips of celebrities all saying the exact same thing. It's not here. All the stuff I have hasn't made me happy. Pick out whoever you want. And yet at the exact same time, we have a social media industry. We have a music industry. We have a film industry that's constantly messaging to us. If you get more stuff, you'll be more happy. If you get the bigger house and you get the bigger car, you're going to be happier. Scroll through your Instagram feed and see how many highlights of people's lives you see. And then count how many lowlights of people's lives you see. We're constantly promoting the vision that bigger is better. We're constantly promoting the vision that accumulation is what's going to lead to acceptance. But it doesn't. And yet at the same time, we'll hold these two things in tension. It's crazy. Why does the story not work? Here are a few reasons I think it doesn't work. First, the story of security is temporary. Look really quick. Matthew 6, 19-21. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Listen, if we're honest with ourselves, every possession that we have in the world right now is breakable. It can be gone in an instant. Like, our city survived a massive tornado. I remember that night calling every single family in our community and asking them, hey, how are you guys? Did you make it? Did the storm affect you? And the last person I called lost everything. In a second, everything gone. Money can be stolen. It can be lost. Clothes, cars, houses, all of this stuff is going to wear out at some point, or there's going to be a bigger, better version of it come out a year later. Relationships even, the accumulation of people are, are fickle. You can lose a relationship with a person in an instant. You're in middle school and high school right now. If you haven't learned that yet, you probably will very soon. Relationships can turn on a dime. People change over time. And so all of these things are not stable things to build our lives on. Because what happens when we build our lives on these things is we leave ourselves vulnerable, not just to the loss of our possessions, but we lose the the. It, uh, identity that we built for ourselves. We don't just lose our stuff, we lose who we think we are. And when we get thrown into an identity crisis, that's where really difficult, deep seasons of hurt and pain and brokenness can reveal themselves. And it all comes when we build our lives, when we build our identities, or we build our worth on the things that can be gone in one second. The second thing I think we see is that the story of security doesn't deliver on what it promises. Look again at Ecclesiastes 5. Verse 11 says this, When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? In other words, mo' money, mo' problems. 
And so as you accumulate more stuff, as you get the bigger and better house, there are things that come along with that that eat away at the satisfaction that you might otherwise find. And still, you can lose all of these things in an instant. All of it can be gone in no time. See, the problem, the problem or the promise that the story of security makes is that through possessions, you're going to get the satisfaction that you long for. You're going to get the acceptance that you long for. But at the same time, the problems will increase, the difficulties will multiply, and what happens a lot of times is with more stuff comes fake relationships. How many famous people do you see with the fakest people around them? The lamest, like people who are just there because the stuff is good and the money is flowing and the parties and the cars and all the trips are just right there for them. Again, look into the scriptures. Look at the prodigal son. He got what he wanted. He goes to his father and he says, I want your stuff. I want you dead. Give it to me now so that I don't have to wait until you pass away. He gets the stuff and he goes to the far country. And what does he get? He gets the acceptance. He gets the friends and he gets the party and he gets all this stuff. But what happens as soon as it's gone? The friends leave and the money dries up. and He winds up in a pig pen by himself thinking to himself, man, I had the acceptance when I was in my father's house. If I could just get back there. The third thing I think we see is that the story of security cuts us off from deep community. Remember, the story has a positive and a negative script. So there's also the flip side to this that says what I don't have is going to make me less acceptable to people. The negative script convinces us that because we either lack something or we have to do something in order to just keep our heads afloat, that people are going to look at us differently. They're going to think about us in a poor way. I have to work to help my family. And if somebody comes into my work, oh my gosh. If they see me serving food at Chipotle while all the friends are there and all the people that I go to school with, man, what are they going to think? My parents have to pick me up and they drive the beat up old car. I'm going to tell them to park on the other side of the school so that nobody sees me and I can just get out and get, get away without anybody noticing. Because what this does is it kills intimacy with people. Because what it tells you is that you can never let anyone in. Nobody can see. Nobody can know. Here's the problem with that. You weren't made to be alone. If you're alone right now, you're not operating to your full capacity. If you feel alone, you weren't made for that. God made you for community. He made you to have people who come around you, who see you and know you, and they accept you in light of everything. True community. Here's the thing. This is what we've tried to build, and we're not perfected by any means. But here's the community we're trying to build. A place where you can come in with the most, or you can come in with the least, and it doesn't matter. Because you're ours. You're here, you're our people, and we love you, and we accept you, whether you have a 15,000 square foot mansion, or you have a shack of 500 square feet. So we're trying to build, and we're working, and we're working, and we're working our way to get to that. But that's, that's the vision of true community. That's what you deserve. That's what you were made for. The problem that we all have is that we, we cling so tightly to these visions. We cling to this script that says, I'm going to get acceptance if I have the stuff, or I can never have acceptance unless I have the stuff. Jim Elliott has this great quote. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to, ki- to gain what he cannot lose. I butchered that a little bit. i got to repeat it. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
See, the challenge in stepping out of the story of security is in us releasing the things that we cannot keep. You can't keep your stuff. Nobody drives a hearse into heaven. We cannot keep the things that we long for here. We have this difficulty of releasing them so that we can grab hold of a story that we cannot lose. And so again, we have to look, what is the better story? You look at Mark 17 or Mark 10 again. You see this story of this man who comes and he wants to know, how do I take possession of the kingdom? And Jesus tells him, sell all your stuff, and he walks away and doesn't follow Jesus into the kingdom. But the cool thing is, the, the thing I love about the book of Mark especially, Mark does this over and over and over again, is he hides the answer to the original story or to the second story in the story that comes right before it. So if you look at Mark 10, verses 13 through 16, this is the story you get. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. If I could, let me just set the scene a little bit, because there's, there's a lot of contextual stuff here that we don't understand. Children in this time and place were not valuable. If you were a child, you were valuable if you could contribute something to the family. So if you were a kid and you could go out and work, you could do even the smallest job to bring in a little bit of income, your value goes up. But if you're a, chi- if you're a kid who's just receiving things from the family, your value and your worth goes exponentially down. At the exact same time, here's the thing that rabbis, teachers in this day would do. As they were commuting through the city, what would happen is parents would bring their kids to them, and they would ask the rabbi, the teacher, to bless their kid. And so if the rabbi had time, and he was a good guy, he would lay his hand on the kid's head, and he would look up to heaven, and he would say this blessing. And here's what that communicated to the parent. My kid will one day be of value because they will give something back to our family. And so parents clung to this. They would seek out these rabbis as they moved throughout the city so that they could gain this blessing from the teacher and then somehow later on in the future that kid could add value to their family and thus gain value for themselves. Now here's what's happening here. As Jesus is moving through and these disciples step forward once they get to the place that they're going, these disciples kind of jump in and they reveal to us that they are living out of the cultural narrative that kids aren't valuable and that these parents need to get out of the way of the teacher. That Jesus is too important to spend time with the kids and Jesus gets ticked. The, the word here for indignant is this like rage. It's like one of the most intense words for anger that you can find in the uh, Greek language. Jesus is ticked. He steps forward and he says, no, don't turn the kids away. As a matter of fact, the kids are so important here that unless you're like one of them, you're never getting into the kingdom of heaven. So what Jesus does here, one, is he values the children. He tells them, you're not unimportant. This child-like language could extend all the way up into like you guys' age. When Jesus looks at you, he sees you as valuable. He says, you're worth my time. You're worth my acceptance. You're worth coming to me. But at the same time, what Jesus says is he reveals something about what it takes to get into the kingdom mindset rightly. And that thing is dependence. I've lived with children now for four, almost five years. I have two sons, a four-year-old who's about to be five, and a four-month-old who's about to be five months. And what I can tell you is this. 
Children are incredibly dependent. Samson, even at five, almost five years old, can't do anything by himself. I have to make his breakfast in the morning. I have to put on his butter and jelly exactly right on his toast, or he will send it back. If Samson goes to the bathroom, I have to come in and I have to wipe his butt for him, or I have to clean off the seat for him because he missed and can't get in the toilet. All of these things are on me. He is completely dependent. And that's a five-year-old. Go down to the four-month-old, and it gets way worse. Hudson can't even pick his head up without me. And so children are, if nothing else, absolutely, completely dependent. They're nothing else. They are needy for every single thing in life. Every single thing. Jesus is telling the disciples here. He's telling the crowd. He's even telling the children who can comprehend this. If you're going to come to the kingdom, you're going to have to come needy. Friends, what is the better story that the gospel speaks over us? It's that your acceptance doesn't depend on what you possess, and it doesn't depend on what you achieve. It doesn't depend on what you possess, and it doesn't depend on what you achieve. Here's the thing. The story of the gospel is a story of acceptance through adoption. It's not a story of acceptance through accumulation. It's not a story of getting all the right stuff and then God looks at you and He says, you're valuable enough to come into relationship with me. It's a story that says, you are worth my time because I've adopted you as my kid. And now you come in and you're completely needy. You can give me nothing. The best day that you have is worthless And still, I look at you and I say, you are worth every single thing that I have. You're worth my son. You're worth giving him up so that I can gain relationship with you. So what's the better story? Is that you have to work and toil and gain and accumulate and get all of the stuff so that people can look at you and say, man, that person's valuable. See the car they're driving? Sheesh. Or is it the story that tells you, you came and you gave me nothing? And I still looked at you in spite of that, and I said, you can have everything that I possess. And I accept you regardless of what you bring to the table. There's this night when Hudson wasn't born yet. Sierra was off on like a girl's trip or something, and so it was just me and Samson. And Samson never calls out for me in the night. He always calls for Sierra. I don't know why. Like, if there was an intruder in the house, who's going to fare better with that? I'm not sure if he understands. So he always calls for Sierra, but tonight Sierra wasn't at the house. And so Samson is in his room. I'm in our room, and it's like across the hall from each other. And I hear at about 2 o'clock in the morning, Samson calling out, Dad! Dad! Dad, come here! I need you! And so I get out of bed groggily, and I walk the 15 steps over to Samson's room. I come into the room, and Samson's sitting up in his bed, and he's like really tense. And I'm like, buddy, what's going on? What's happening? What's the problem? I said, Dad, I'm scared. I'm scared of the dark. There's a monster in my closet, and he might be under the bed too. And so as a parent, you've probably done this before. Your parents have done this a million times, I'm sure. I go to the closet. All right, there's nothing in there. Check under the bed. Because you got to do it. You never really know. Like, I've seen enough scary movies to know it's a possibility. But it's not likely, and so I do it anyway. Eventually, what I have to do by the end of it all is I have to sit in the bed with him, and I have to wait until he falls back asleep. 
either that or I carry him into our room and he sleeps with me and I just don't like that. I, I hate sharing the bed with anyone. And so I lay in bed with him. I wait and wait and wait. And eventually Samson falls back asleep. Now I had options. I had some options going into his room that night. Option number one, I could go in his room and I could bring him a weapon. And I could say, Samson, if there's a monster in your room, you are going to have to take care of this mug yourself. You're just going to have to do it because, like, I'm tired and I think I might lose to the monster, but I will equip you with a weapon so that you can fight the monster yourself. I could have done that. Not great parenting. I could have gone in there and I could have turned on all the lights. Problem solved. You can see now the monster's not here. You're probably going to sleep really poorly. But the problem is solved. Last option, I could have gone into the room and I could have combed over every square inch of it, just looking, searching, like turning over every little toy to see, is the monster hiding under there? Is the dark creature going to come out of, of this little tiny pocket? And at the end of it, I would have looked at him and I would have proved to him, you're being irrational. There's no monster. You don't have anything to be scared of. Monsters aren't real. Or I could do what I did. You can sit in the bed and you can wait until the comfort returns and the security comes back and they know my parent listened to me. Friends, here's the thing. The presence of the Father is always going to be the thing that reinforces the security and acceptance we long for. It is. The presence of the Father with you is always going to be the thing that roots you in the acceptance that you're seeking out and that gives you that security to continue moving through the world knowing that it's not what you have that makes you important. That it's not what you achieve that gives you worth or value. We're going to talk about this next week, but it's not the significance that you can gain that makes you worth His time. It's Him sitting with you until you are able to fall back asleep in His arms, secure, knowing that you're accepted and seen and known and loved. That's the formula. Friends, the Father doesn't find you acceptable because of your stuff. He never has and he never will. And here's the thing. He could care less about the house and the cars, but here's the problem that we get into our heads. We get into our heads that our acceptability is going to come to the fact that I've done enough religious stuff for him so that he can look at me and say, man, he worked his way to my acceptance. He accumulated all of the merit badges and he did all the checklists and now I can look at him and I can say, you can be my son now because you did enough stuff. That's not God's love either. God's not looking at you and keeping a tally of how many times you have your quiet time. He's not keeping a tally of how many times you prayed to Him. He's not keeping a tally of how many times you gave away your stuff so that someone else could have more. But He is sitting with you in presence and saying, I want to be here because you were acceptable before you ever did anything. Because when I look at you, I don't see you and I don't see your sin and I don't see your checklist. I see my son. I see Jesus. And the sight of Jesus tells me in the innermost part of my being, you are mine. And nothing can pull you away. The story of security would have you believe that your acceptability is going to come because you accumulated enough stuff and it's garbage. But the better story that the gospel speaks over you is that you were accepted because you were adopted. You have been seated at his table and you're his. He calls you daughter. He calls you son. And he loves you perfectly. And all you had to do to get it 
was to come needy with your arms out to him and run to the Father. Can we pray?